chapter 45 in Genesis. We're kind of coming to the end of our study as we've gone through this uh, last section all about Joseph. And uh, this particular section, uh, the end of chapter 45 and, and all of chapter 46, which we'll cover tonight, really is all about forgiveness. It's like one of the greatest stories in the Bible, uh, just again, picturing Christ and his forgiveness, Joseph. Joseph's such an interesting study. When you, when you read his story, and all throughout the last, you know, several chapters we've studied, he hasn't really complained. He didn't complain in prison about his brothers. Uh, and tonight you're going to discover Pharaoh doesn't, he doesn't think anything bad about his brothers at all. He just wants to meet him, Pharaoh. If Joseph had complained about his brothers, if he had been whining and complained for 22 years, everyone would have known. And they would have looked suspiciously at the brothers when they're introduced to Pharaoh, as we'll see in this story. But Pharaoh doesn't bat an eye. He wants to meet him. And I believe that, that Joseph is such a great example for us to understand true forgiveness. He's not slandering people. He's not even telling the truth about the, the ugly side of his brothers. He's trusting the Lord in everything. And so he becomes this great lesson of forgiveness. Really, that's the topic of this portion of Scripture. But uh, before we study it or read any more, let's ask God's blessing on His Word. Father, we're here tonight to learn, and I pray, Father, that you would just um, just fill us, fill me. I know I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I just, that I would allow you to work freely in my heart and mind that you would take those things I've studied and, and take the word that you've written, Lord, and may it come off the page in everyone's eyes. Our minds, Lord, would absorb the truth of your word in this great story. And I, I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to hearts, encourage those that, that need encouragement, Lord, and heal those that are broken and, and sick. And it just reminds me of people in our fellowship right now that are struggling couple people we know, Lord, that, that had just had strokes. This, those that we know that were just diagnosed with cancer or have cancer with us this evening, we pray, God, for you to touch their bodies. Strengthen them, O oh Lord. And their families, Lord, may their families just surround them with the love and care that they, they truly need. Sustain their families, Lord, as they question and, and wonder. And so we do pray, Lord, for those that are sick. We pray for a divided nation, Lord. Truth, not, not our political view, but, but truth. And Christians could stand in truth. We pray for our president and lawmakers. We ask God for wisdom. We pray for the police that, that are even here in our own city to protect us. We pray for their safety. Lord, teach us from your word now. Uh, the truths that you want us to hear. I, I pray, Lord, that we would just just really eat up your word, that we would feast on it tonight. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Now, you'll remember last week, and I'm going to start in, in chapter 45 just because such a beautiful story about the forgiveness that we see here. Um, it's it's uh, it's just such a beautiful story about Joseph and how he, he, again, forgives so wonderfully his brothers. They have no clue at this point that it's their brother they're standing before 
as they go on and on about, we didn't steal the cup, we didn't do it, we didn't steal the money the first time. And Joseph, as you remember, has, has planted the money back in their sacks twice. He's put the cup uh, in the sack of the youngest, his blood brother, Benjamin, all to test the, the integrity of these brothers that said, we don't lie. And he knew, knows they lie. They lied to his father. They lied to him. They sold him into slavery 22 years prior to this story. And so now they come to a place after all this time and through these tests that God has used through Joseph, they're broken. And they more than regret, they actually repent. And Judah, as you remember, becomes the spokesman for the brothers. And he basically repents uh, before his brother, incognito, he doesn't know that that's Joseph, but, but now these brothers are, they're, they're begging Joseph to allow Benjamin to go free and because it'll just break the heart of their father. They've seen their father in sorrow for 22 years. Their sin has caused their father to be totally broken and, and just despondent. A year after, he just wants to die. We've seen that, Jacob. And so, they really have changed. Their attitude has changed. God has worked in their lives. And finally, they come to this place. They truly regret their sin and they openly repent. Let's read just briefly in, in the beginning of chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph, after he hears all that stuff, he could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. All the Egyptians went away, listening through the keyhole, listening what was going on. And he begins to just weep so loud that everyone hears. But they're outside the, the door. And he begins to confess to his brothers. Uh, he wept aloud. And, and he, the Egyptian or the Pharaoh uh, and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brother, I am Joseph. He wanted to say this over and over the last couple of years when his brothers came before him. He says, does my father still live? But the brothers could not answer him. They're, they're dumbfounded. They're like, what? What? They can't believe it. They're dismayed, it says. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. Come and, come and look. So they came near. And then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Who would know that except his, their brother? Again, this story becomes this great, great story of forgiveness, and we see uh, it exampled in Joseph. It, this is an example for you and I as Christians. Don't look at this story as just history. Apply this to your own life. Are you forgiving like Joseph? Without forgiveness, none of us can have the right relationship with God that he wants for us. Let me show or prove that to you tonight, Matthew 6, 14. If you forgive men their trespasses, Jesus. Boy, you can't even see that, huh? Can you see that? White. We'll have to change that color next time. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, says Jesus, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You're familiar with that verse, right? One of the marks of being a Christian is to be forgiving, to be gracious. Forgiveness is a vital part of the Christian's life. And in terms of your relationship with people in the church, 
those that you fellowship with and other believers, the Apostle Paul commands, here's another verse, Ephesians 4.31. He's going to change it for us so you can see it. Let me just read it to you. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, Paul writes in Ephesians, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And he says this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is part of who we are as believers. And more importantly, Jesus said in Matthew 5, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your, remember what was it? Your enemies. He said, love your enemies. A Christian is to be forgiving. We're to love our enemies. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many did that today? As God reminds you now, as you're driving on the freeway or, or impatient standing in line or all these different examples. Again, we're to bless those that curse you. Jesus said, do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. Joseph becomes a perfect example of all these things. That's why he's a great study again. This is the story that really teaches us about forgiveness, how a Christian is to treat others, how we're to, to forgive others. Why is learning about forgiveness so important, you might ask? Well, let me give you some statistics real quick. I'll throw these out at you. 80% of murders in the U.S. are committed by people who know or have some kind of relationship with the victim. Did you know that? 80% of murders in the, in the States. Then there's road rage. <clears throat> That's on the rise. We hear a lot about that. Somebody gets angry. There's a baseball batter, a knife, a gun, whatever, and then somebody's dead. Un, um, unforgiveness, pent-up anger, suppressed anger. Those are the kind of things that, that people have year after year after year, but there's none of that in this man, Joseph. And it's so important for us to understand yeah, that's a much better way to see that scripture. It's, it's so much better for us to understand that, that we need to be forgiving. Let me give you just one quick illustration again before we go on. I think you'll find this interesting. In the state of Washington right now, just up the Columbia River from Portland, the largest nuclear cleanup site has been sitting there for many years. And in the 40s, when they started the Manhattan Project and they made the, nu the, the bomb that was dropped on, on Japan, they, all of the, the plutonium was made right there at that plant. This is the plant, even today, even this is a black and white picture. It's called the Hanford site. You can look it up. Millions of gallons of radioactivity or radioactive atomic waste are stored right now underground in these huge tanks. And after 20 years and $19 billion, not one drop of waste has been treated. Now, this isn't a political statement at all. Here's the clincher. The tanks that all this, this radioactive plutonium is stored in have a, a shelf life of 30 years. They were put in there about 30 years ago. The wastes inside are deadly for 600 years. Now, we live in a society where people, just like those tanks in Hanford, 
They have all this anger, this pent-up anger. As a Christian, I have a release for that anger. I come to Christ, he forgives me, and then I forgive others, right? But there's people all around you all day long that have this anger. I think we're seeing that right now in the news. They have anger, political anger. They have anger at other people of other races, different than they are. They have all this pent-up anger and rage. And this, this just becomes an example, this little picture that I put up of, of people with pent-up anger. Sooner or later, it's just going to blow up. It's got to be treated. Unforgiveness and bitterness will fester in the life of people. And one day, it's just going to blow up in a, in, a, in a fit of rage. So what's the answer? Let's go back to my point there. The answer is forgiveness. Forgiveness is the answer. And, and that's why we need to look at this. There, there's a lot of narrative in our study tonight that you'll understand. We'll just blitz, blitz right through chapter 46. But the point here is that I believe God wants us to learn all about this, this wonderful truth about forgiveness, freedom, reconciliation, just the joy of, of getting it off your shoulders, off your chest, just, oh, forgive me for thinking this about you or whatever. And it's Joseph is the, who becomes this great example because 22 years earlier, out of extreme jealousy and hatred for their brother Joseph, they, they throw him into a pit. They're, they're going to kill him and they sell him to the Ishmaelites, the, the slave traders that went to Egypt. I mean, they hated him. And all those years, think about Joseph. He spends first, the first many years as a slave in a house. And then he's falsely accused and thrown in prison. How many times can he say, God, do you even care about me year after year? But we don't see that in his life. Joseph believes, Joseph recognizes, like you and I should recognize that, that God is in control and God has, has got his hand on the thermostat of suffering, allowing him to be taken to a, an extreme, but, but Joseph is just not going to break. He's not going to crack. He's trusting a sovereign God. You can too. Each one of us in here can trust a sovereign God. How big is your God in your mind? Is he bigger than your challenges, aggressions, frustrations, finances, whatever, sickness? Is God bigger? If he's bigger, then you'll be like Joseph. You'll just trust him. And during those times of difficulty, sickness and slavery and, and these things, imprisonment in his life... God will forge in you the, this wonderful truth about forgiveness and love. Joseph, again, he's this great example. Look at verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth to save your lives. See, he's recognized right now that I know why I'm doing I know why I was enslaved. I know why I was in prison, verse 8. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Then down in verse 9 through 15, Joseph sends his brothers home, but not before he displays his love and forgiveness. And we see that in verse 14. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And moreover, he kissed his brother and wept over them after this brother's talk with him. So here's the, 
the end of our study last week, and I know I'm, I'm going through it again, but I, I just want you to get it and understand how important forgiveness is. Now, beginning in verse 16, we get a response, but now it's from Pharaoh, and I've set you up, and I've already helped you understand where Pharaoh's coming from. He, he's got no clue about bad brothers. He, he just is glad that, that Joseph's going to reunite with his family. He's Pharaoh. He he's a, must be a family man, but here's my point. Pharaoh invites Joseph's family. Verse 16, now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come. Notice, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. They were all happy for him. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your household and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, I command you to, he probably did it with a smile on his face, it's fair, you, I command you to do it. You go home and get your dad, bring everything down here, and I'm going to put you on the best land, and I'm going to take care of you. And during this famine, we've got, we've got water down here. You, you just come, come and bring your family. I command you, I love that. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods. For the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. And notice how Pharaoh is so generous here to this Hebrew, which, remember, Egyptians really don't like. They don't eat together. But Pharaoh, there's something special here. Back in chapter 43, when Joseph had cooked up the feast for his brothers, remember they had to sit at different tables Joseph sat at a table, the Egyptians sat at a table, and the brothers sat at a table. They wouldn't sit at the same table and eat. Egyptians wouldn't eat with even Joseph. So here you have this wonderful truth. Pharaoh, he's excited about this family being reunited here, and he invites the whole family to come and live in Egypt. The question is why? Why is Pharaoh so pleased with the family? Well, there's a couple of reasons here. Number one, Pharaoh had great respect for Joseph, so he has respect for his family. In other words, Joseph didn't badmouth his family. And because Joseph was so upstanding and everything he said was true, Pharaoh trusted him and Pharaoh just said, hey, bring your family down. I love that truth. Number two, Joseph never again told Pharaoh anything about his family or how they treated him wrongly. And that's why Pharaoh you know, welcomes, welcomes them. So here's the application. There's a lot of wisdom right here for us as Christians, but it's, it's because Joseph didn't denigrate his family. He didn't speak badly about his brothers that Pharaoh thinks so highly about his family. In other words, one, one uh, author wrote this, silence about the sins of others makes restoration a much easier process. Wouldn't you agree? Silence, when you don't say anything. Jesus in Matthew 18 said this. Let's see if this one pops up. Is this white? Oh, good. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. That's the way we're supposed to take care of issues. We're not to go to our best friend and say, did you hear what Sarah, Sally said about me? Did you hear what Fred said about me? We're not to do that as Christians. Did you know that? 
If we're going to be a, a people that forgive and reconcile and, and have really great relationships, and we can't be, and, unless we do it like Jesus said, go to that brother. I, I don't know, over the years, I've had a lot of people come to me and say, you know, I have this problem with so-and-so. And, and my, first, my first response is, have you gone to so-and-so privately and talked to him? Well, it's really been bothering me for months. Who have you told in months? Well, I, I told my sister and, and at school. and I was at the Starbucks, and I just I couldn't hold it back. I was just talking to some guy. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. That's the goal. So wisdom from this story about forgiveness. My next point here in verse 21 and 5 Joseph sends gifts to his father. Notice verse 21. Then the sons of Israel did so. They, they, they took Pharaoh up on his generous offer, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, charges of garments. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. So they all get close, but Benjamin gets more. And he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt, 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So they can take the whole family and bring the whole family back to Egypt. So they had plenty of food for their, their journey. So as they leave their brother Joseph behind again, it's the, the family's all together, Benjamin's with the brothers they are just flying high. They, they've been forgiven. There's just so much joy and, and forgiveness and relief in, in their lives as they go on their journey. And then they have all this extra food and clothes. And I mean, they have just everything that they've ever wanted. Again, God's blessing this family. God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that I'll prosper you. And, and, and even remember, if, if someone curses you, I'll curse them. And if someone blesses you, I'll bless them. Here's this Pharaoh. He's going to bless them. And God's going God's to bless Pharaoh here. It's such a beautiful story. And then Joseph, again, he gives one last word of instruction, verse 24. So he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Now think about that. In other words, as you guys go home, would you, can we just ask right now that you won't argue about anything? As you brothers go, because I know you guys, you're different moms, and you're always complaining and arguing. Can I just say that you guys just go home in peace? Don't trouble each other. Man, God has just blessed you. I, I think there's a lot more in the conversation that's not written down by Moses here. But he, he just says, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father. So Joseph, he knows his brothers well, asking them not to argue. And, and uh, he knows too well about what they've done in the past. And, you know, he knows what Reuben did. You know, let's kill him. And, and what Simeon, let's throw him in a pit and let's sell him. You know, he knows all that. And so he's saying, come on, guys, just, just don't, don't argue. Just go home and, and get dad. That's basically what he's saying. So their trip would be so much happier if they just get, forgave each other. How true is that about our lives? If we'll just forgive those 
in the fellowship, the, those in our family. I, I'm sure there's some marriage relationships that are stra- straining and struggling right now, two people that are just like wanting their way. And it might be just really a dumb little thing like you didn't wash the dishes and, and, and well, you should wash the dishes. And I mean, think about it. It's, it's happened in my home and it's always me. It's not, not my wife. Little petty things. Instead of just being forgiving. And, and again, this example of Joseph. Now, when they get home, guess who's going to be surprised? Their father, Jacob's surprise, verse 26. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. And, and I would imagine that they had to tell him that about 500 times. And every brother, no, no it's really true. And, no, it's not. It's not. You, he, he was dead. I saw the bloody cloak that I made. No, no, he's really alive. Over and over. They say, he's still alive. Not only that, he's the governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still. Why? Because he did not believe them. Now, why should he believe them? They've been lying to him. He doesn't know why they're telling him. He's, he's an old man at this time. He's 130 years old. He's a wise man. He, he's a schemer. He, remember how conniving and scheming and, and much a liar he was? All of that stuff was coming back at him through his boys. He doesn't believe them. His heart stood still. But, but, verse 27, when they told him all the words, in other words, they told him the whole story, and they told him over and over, all the story which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw all the food, the carts and the donkeys and all, Joseph had sent to carry him the spirit of Jacob, their father, Revived. Notice that. He was, his countenance for 22 years, he is sad. He is despondent. He is disappointed in his family. Remember, he said, if you don't bring, you know, Benjamin back, I'm just going to die. But, but notice what it says here. When he hears this and finally believes it, he's revived. I don't know if he's 130 years old man dancing around or whatever he was doing. But the scripture says that he was revived. And we don't get all the details. But I believe the brothers tell this whole story to their father. They, they have to convince him of all those things. So then now they have to admit their guilt to their dad. They have to admit their lies to their dad. They have to come clean now to their dad. They've got to tell him everything. It says all the words, plus the words of Joseph, all the promises and the food and all this. That's what convinces him. Then notice It's not Jacob, but who is it here? Verse 28, notice his name. Same guy, Israel said, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. He finally is convinced. Now, we don't know how long it took. Maybe it was a weekend. Maybe it was hours. We don't know. But but all he had to be convinced by his sons. And then he says, I will go and see him before I die. Again, he's, he's an older guy here. Now, the last several chapters we've looked at, they're all about repentance because the brothers finally admit their guilt and they're doing it again here with their father. Chapter 45, which we've just kind of burned through, is all about forgiveness. So we have repentance in 44 and we have forgiveness. They've repented, they've confessed, and now there's forgiveness. And it's these two elements that bring reconciliation uh, Pastor, they just can't break through and, and have this reconciliation with, these, with this person. 
you need these two elements, repentance, and you have to confess and admit, and then you have to be forgiving. If somebody's hurt you, you have to be willing to forgive them. That's part of who it is to be a Christian. That's part of the Christian life. And believe me, brothers and sisters, it's, it's a glorious thing when, when you can forgive someone that's really hurt you. And you do it in a godly way, and the Holy Spirit leads you, and you just leave it all out there. You leave your heart out there. You leave your feelings out there, and, and just you admit, you confess, and then you receive or forgive that person that confesses to you. These, these are essential for true reconciliation. That is what we're seeing in these chapters that we're studying here. And as a result of all of it, it's revival. Jacob's heart's revived. He's renewed. His whole attitude changes. Again, that's why I'm going to give you the dancing illustration. Because I think he did. He's 130 and he he didn't believe it. They're telling him over and over. And he finally, my my son's, he's alive. He's alive. He's, He's excited now. He's revived is what the scripture said. It's a Hebrew word that means alive or recovered. So he must have been bummed out in the tent all day, dark, you know, sheet over his head, didn't want to talk to anybody. For years he was that way. But now he's revived by, by the news of his son being alive. And for Jacob, here's my next point here. Life restarts at 130 years old for him. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 46 here. And, and when we get to chapter 47, you'll get his age. But you can look at that. Verse 9 of chapter 47 tells us his age. But he's 130 in this story. And here in chapter 46, we see this revived and anxious old man who just cannot wait to see his son that he's, he hasn't seen for 22 years. But it's on the way to Canaan. Now he's going. He's going to go down to Canaan. They carry him. He couldn't walk that far. But he goes to the southernmost boundary of Canaan, which is that promised land. He goes down to this place called Beersheba, and he stops. Notice what it says in verse 1 of chapter 46. So Israel took his journey with all that he had. So they pack up everything, all their tents, all their goods. They're leaving. They're leaving. They didn't leave anything behind. They take everything with them. And he came to, notice, Beersheba, and he offered sacrifice to God of his father, Isaac. Now, in the scriptures, you'll see in the Old Testament, you'll hear this phrase all the time, from Dan to Beersheba. You'll hear that. Dan Dan is the northernmost boundary. Beersheba is the southernmost. When you go across the boundary from Beersheba, you're in Egypt. And so it's, that really contains the whole promised land from north to south. Now, he's down in Beersheba, and he's been there before. In, in Beersheba there, way down in the south, it's where Abraham first called upon the Lord in chapter 21, verse 33. Abraham lived there in Beersheba, and when he lived there, it was after he offered his son Isaac on that Mount Moriah. He went back to Beersheba. That's where he was living, down in that southernmost uh, area there in Canaan. Jacob lived there. And Jacob, when he was in Beersheba, that's where he deceived his father Isaac. 
That's where he lied. And remember, he dressed up, his mom dressed him up in camel skins, and, and he faked his voice and put on stinky, smelly outdoor perfume, you know, and went before his blind father Isaac and deceived him and lied that he was in Beersheba. But now he goes to Beersheba again. And Jacob, he's 130 years old, and he's getting wise, and he's understanding how God's working. And he remembers something about going below Beersheba into Egypt. I'm not supposed to go there. There was a prohibition to go down to Egypt, although Abraham did it anyway, right? And then Isaac did it anyway. And so he gets to Beersheba, and he goes, whoa, we need to, we need to wait on the Lord here. We need to stop for a minute and wait on the Lord and notice what he does here. I guess I should show you this first. I have a proof text here that, that Abraham uh, wasn't to go there. Uh, Genesis 26, 2. I have that one? Yeah. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go to Egypt and live in the land of which I shall tell you. So this was um, a prohibition, and he knew that. So he doesn't want to go below there. In verse 2, read verse 2 with me here. Then God spoke to Israel in a vision. So he's waiting on the Lord. He's worshiping God, and God speaks to him in this vision of the night. Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. So he, God, said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt. In other words, I want you to go down there. You've heard the prohibition, and now you're listening to me. See, Jacob is starting to listen to God. This is a really good time. This is a turning point in Jacob's life. He's listening to God. And God says, it's okay to go to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. So I'm going to take you down there. I'm going to bring you back. That was the promise. So Jacob, who is finally having this relationship where he's talking to God and listening and, and waiting on the Lord instead of being impetuous and lying and deceiving, Jacob's changed. His sons have changed. God has been working in their lives. It's taken years. But the story is so beautiful here, revealing that truth that they're changing. I will go down with you, verse 4. And then verse 5, Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father, Jacob, their little ones and their wives. Remember, Israel, Jacob, same, same person, just one person. Just, he's Jacob when he's deceiving. He's Israel when he's following the Lord. So we have both of their... Moses is writing this, remember. Moses wrote the Pentateuch. He, he wrote this text. And he is reporting this story as God revealed it to him. So they take all their wives and carts, which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They took their livestock, verse 6, and goods which they had acquired in the land of Canaan and went to Egypt. Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his son's sons, his daughters and his son's daughters, and all the descendants he brought with him to Egypt. So the entire family now is going. They got to Beersheba. Jacob's halted. He stopped. I can't go beyond this. We've got to wait on the Lord. And, and even though some of that's not written in the text, I believe that's what's going on there. He, he's finally listening to the Lord. Now, from verse 8, you'll notice in your Bible, look there, from verse 8 to 27, what do you see? How many of you want me to read all those names there? Now, the reason, I know, yeah, you, you would. The reason that you get all those names is because Moses is writing this and the people that are going to come from 
Egypt 400 years later, these people that are going to come out of that, they want to know their family heritage. They want to know their roots. And so Moses is giving the roots. That's why he's got all these names, names, names. So they don't mean anything to you and I, but they meant a lot to these children of Israel, Jacob. His children are going to inherit the land. God's going to bring them back into the land, and they're going to get portions of the land by family name. That's why all those names are there, this long genealogy. I'm just going to read verse 8. Now, these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons, who went to Egypt. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. And on and on they go to verse 26. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body, Besides Jacob's sons' wives were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. So again, the reason the names, all the leaders of the family, not the women, but the men, the family name, the surname was important to these these Israelites, the children of Israel who would come back into the land and God would distribute them all the 12 tribes to all these different areas of, of Israel, the land of Israel, the Israel, Jacob, the children of Israel. When they, that, so that's why they're names. Now, after being separated 22 years and beyond the, the, this long list of names, we finally have the reuniting of Jacob and Joseph here. My next point, verse 28, then he sent Judah before him to Joseph. So the entourage, the camels, all the family, the tents, all their stuff, they're kind of meandering slowly, getting closer and closer to Goshen. And, uh, and so he sends his son, Reuben, he says, I, I want, or Judah, pardon me, he, I want you to go and, and meet Joseph. Tell him we're, we're coming. So Joseph made ready his chariot, verse 29, and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck. And wept on his neck. A good while, by the way, Moses wrote. And Moses wasn't there. Obviously, he's writing this. But, but he makes that point. And I think we can all understand that point. The emotion that's flowing really at this time. There's not a dry eye in the family when, when these two come together. All the brothers and, and, and all their deception and lies uh, that they had repented of. They're seeing the fruit of it now when the reuniting of Jacob and or Israel and Joseph come together. It's, it's, it's a very emotional scene. Verse 30, and Israel said to Joseph, notice what he says, now let me die since I've seen your face because you're still alive. I mean, he's, he's feeling it. 130 years old, you know, you got to give him some credit. He's actually going to live quite a, a long time after this. God's not done with him yet. But here's the application when you read through this, this text. Have you ever been in a situation where you were estranged from someone? Maybe it was a childhood, high school, college person that you really loved, and, but something happened and, and, and it, it, you broke up. Maybe it was a, a situation at a job where you really loved the, the people you worked with and, and the manager, you had a great relationship and you spent vacations together and something happened. And there was this, this breakup. Someone you loved, after a, a long and painful absence, you, you haven't seen, seen them. Maybe, 
we, we see on, on YouTube, I love these YouTube videos where you have soldiers that go away for nine months, you know, to Afghanistan, and then, and then they come home and surprise their little girl on the basketball court. You know, have you ever seen those? They're, they're awesome, aren't they? Once you get a you choke up and you're, you get a little tear in your eye to see the, the little nine-year-old turn around and see their daddy all dressed up in military garb at, at their school um, uh, uh, assembly, and everybody and the teachers all knew what was happening and they're clapping, you know, and this little girl, daddy, you know, she runs over and has this reunion. That's, that's really what's going on here. The kind of joy and emotion, it's hard, to, it's hard for me to describe it. I think it's hard for us to understand it. But that's the kind of joy that we're seeing here in Genesis chapter 46 and this reuniting. But let me tell you this about maybe someone that, that you've broken in fellowship with or maybe, maybe... It's someone that you love, and they died before you, your wife, someone that you love dearly. I know there's some people in this room right now that that's the case. Maybe a grandparent or a, a parent who went bef- you know, home, or a child that went home before their time. They went home to be with the Lord. Do you know that there's going to be a day that there's going to be a reuniting with that person? Do you know that we've been given a promise as Christians that one day we're going to be reunited with our loved ones that have passed? Did you know that? That should give you great hope. And this reuniting, I think, is a picture of that as well. We are promised to once again see those that have died in Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great promise? And I have, I have my, the youth pastor, the man that mentored me at the Nazarene Church right here in town, he died of cancer. And, and his name is Lauren. And I, I, right, even now I get emotional. I can't wait to see Lauren. My wife, he, he officiated our, our wedding, Lauren. He was my, my youth pastor. He was my mentor. He encouraged me in Christ. He, he gave me so much um, uh, direction as a young person without a father that was, a, my dad was not a Christian. I couldn't get advice from my dad. So he was really my spiritual father, and he led and encouraged me. Oh, I can't wait to see him. It just brings joy to my heart. I'm going to see him one day. And and that's really the truth of this whole story, that one day, one day, the questions are are answered. We don't even want, there's no small talk. We just grab each other and hug. I can't wait to get to heaven. It's going to be a wonderful reunion. You might be, so young this morning or this evening that you don't recognize what I'm saying, but as you get older and older, boy, it just really touches your heart. You can't wait to see these people. I've done a lot of funerals in the 30 years of ministry here at this church, and <clears throat> there's many, many sweet Christians that I sat with and held their hand an hour before they died or a day before they died and prayed with them. And, and I just remember the last word, I'll see you soon. I'll see you soon. They're, gonna, they're in heaven right now, and they're in so much glory, maybe for 20 or 30 years. They're in so much glory that they, they've been there, they're looking at Jesus, and they're going to turn around once, and they're going to say, oh, Lee, how are you? You know, oh, I, it's been 30 years since you died, and I just got to heaven. Oh, gee, I, I did 30 years, I can't imagine. I just thought I took one breath. It, it's going to be glorious. Heaven's going to be filled with all this glory. I, I just can't wait. Now, I've kind of gone kind of long, but I'm excited about that. I hope you, you can see that. But notice in verse 31, Jacob and the family 
are in Goshen now. Verse 31, then Joseph said to his brothers and his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds for their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks and herds and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls on you. I'm going to go up and prime Pharaoh. So when Pharaoh comes and talks to you, when Pharaoh says, what are you doing here? He, this is the answer he wants to hear. I'm, I'm priming you. That, Joseph is telling his family this. When Pharaoh says, what's your occupation? That you say this, verse 34. Your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth, even till now. Both we and our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. See, Egyptians, number one, they didn't like different people from different cultures. Number two, they, they thought shepherds were the worst of the worst. And so Joseph's preparing him, okay, just tell him this. I'll go tell him and prime him. And then when he says, what do you want to do? We're shepherds. That's kind of what we do. We don't know how to grow crops. That's what they did in Egypt. That fertile Nile Valley, when you look at it on a map, it's all green everywhere. And there's all these tributaries coming out of the Nile all the way to the the Mediterranean. And uh, they grew crops there. They kind of detested the shepherds. And so Jacob is kind of getting them... I mean, pardon me, Joseph is getting them ready for the answer. They just want to give that answer. No, we're shepherds. We, we want to be here where there's water and where our, our animals and livestock can have some water to drink. So Joseph, and he stresses that fact, again, because he wants them in an area that's, that's going to be fertile and it's going to provide for their, their uh, sheep and their livestock there. And the, another reason that Joseph is warning them or, or priming them there is that he knows that Goshen is an area that isn't really an area Egyptians like. And so it'll keep them a little separated from the normal Egyptian population. They'll be kind of out in the, the Thule's. And so Joseph set all this up for them because he wants them to do well. His family, he wants them to do really well because Joseph's not going to be there with them. He's going to be back running the country. Remember, this is only a couple of years. The famine's going to last for five more years. So now that the family's down there, they, they need to be able to, to do their thing and, and uh, keep their livestock going. Again, this story, one of the great stories in the Bible. Many, many valuable lessons here. But let me, in closing, just suggest a couple for you. Number one, God uses the bitterness and hatred of these brothers, these, these brothers of Joseph, the ten brothers, to accomplish his purpose. God is using that negative stuff in those people's lives to, to create something in Joseph. And think about that in your own life. I don't have any time for that person. They, they, they're, they're worthless in my eyes. If God's brought them in your life for some reason, they're not worthless. There's a purpose. There's a plan. Will you as a Christian let, the work, let God work in a sovereign way in your life to bring him glory? Like Joseph did. God will accomplish what he sets out to do. He can do it really quickly if you're pliable. If your clay pot isn't you know, filled with imperfections. If you move and shake while he's trying to shape and mold you into that beautiful vessel to be used for honor. Or it could take years. 
In this case, it took that long because of his disobedient brothers. It wasn't Joseph here. In other words, you can't really mess up God's plan. God has a plan. He's going to accomplish that plan. You have to be patient, you have to wait, and you have to trust God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Write that one down and go home and read it. Proverbs 3, 5. You, that's what you have to do. Put your faith in God. Number two, the second great lesson we learn here is Jacob. He's been brought to a place, this conniving um, uh, thieving son of Isaac who, you know, rips off his, his dad and lies. He's lived a whole life of deceit. But now he's changed. He got to Beersheba and he finally waited. He halted just for that moment. Oh, I can't go across that line. He realized that he needs to listen to the word of God and he obeyed. That was a huge thing for Jacob. And again, those, those are the things that we're learning as we look at this story. Maybe you've been a Jacob. Maybe you've, you've been a lying manipulator in your life. There's a lot of people that are really nice manipulators. They're really nice. They look nice. They dress nice. But boy, they can manipulate everybody in their life. They're all about manipulating. And that's a lie. That's wrong. Maybe you've been a Jacob. You've messed up your life. Maybe it's even been your fault. So you can either, number one, keep making bad choices, or number two, you can trust God to lead you out of that. See, God loves you, and he'll lead you out of that. I love that truth. God did it for Jacob. If he can do it for that nasty, I mean, we studied, you here, we're here, Jacob. If he can do it for Jacob, he can do it for any of us here, amen? We just need to trust him. We need to let him be sovereign we need to believe that his ways are always the best and he'll lead us to forgiveness and repentance. Amen? Father, I thank you for the word this evening. What a blessing this story is and so many wonderful truths we learn as we study together. I just ask, Father, that, that you would uh, stir hearts here tonight. Stir us up, Lord, and Help us to understand that this is just not a history that we're reading, but, but your word is alive. And Holy Spirit, we allow you to do what you will in our lives to reveal the, the ugliness of our sin. And forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, of our sin. May we be confessors. May we go to those that we've wronged and, and, and confess our wrong and ask for forgiveness, and, and may we extend forgiveness to everyone around us. That's the way of agape. That's the way of our God. I pray, Lord, that you would just do that work in our hearts, in my heart. And I so thank you for the, for the word. I thank you for allowing us to look, look at this book and not just stare at our ugly hearts. But in this story, Lord, our hearts are truly revealed and and so we repent change us make us into the image of your son father so that we might please you in all that we do in jesus name we pray amen